<laughs> All right, guys, grab a seat. Welcome, everyone. I hate to break that sweet sound of fellowship. It's so nice. Good to see everybody's faces. Good to be here. If you're new with us uh, this morning, just to let you know, um, some of our staff will be over to my left, to your right, kind of a, there's a little area over there with a table and resources and some couches, but if you'd like to uh, meet some of the staff or ask questions, uh, we have a, a welcome bag for you, so uh, head over. You don't have to, but uh, you're certainly encouraged to come over and, and just say hi. We'd love, to, we'd love to say hi to you and just kind of get to know you. Um, also, I just want to say this. I know I say this kind of regularly, but we are very accessible. Um, I am very accessible. If anybody reaches out and wants to talk, um, I can set up a Zoom. I can meet face-to-face -face outside, whatever you're comfortable with, um, a phone call. I think some, sometimes people will say, oh my gosh, Pastor Scott, I'm so sorry. You're so busy. Um, I don't even want to bug you. Uh, to, you know, talk to you. But that that's what I do. I'm full-time pastor here, and I'm available to just talk. So please um, don't hesitate to reach out if you're struggling, if you just need encouragement, if you need wisdom, if you need help connecting with other people in the community, because it's a, it's a challenging time for that. Uh, reach out and let me know. I'd, I'd be glad to help with that. Well, um, we're in the middle of a series, kind of a beginning of the year January series called Rhythms, just getting us into good rhythms of spiritual disciplines in our life. We want to pursue God in 2022 uh, like we've never pursued him before. And so we're talking about some of the ways that we do that. We talked last week about reading spiritual books, spiritual reading. We talked about studying the Word of God. We talked about prayer, I think, in week one. Uh, so today, something that maybe isn't taught on enough in churches, at least in America, I want to talk about fasting. Well, feasting and fasting. Mostly about fasting, <laughs> but we'll talk a little bit about feasting as well, because I think they, they balance each other really well. Um, yeah, I don't think we need to talk too much about feasting, because most of us are pretty good at it, <laughs> right? Uh, we love to celebrate. Americans love to celebrate. We have our holidays. I mean, we, we really do it. I mean, it used to be, Christmas used to be, you know, a couple days. Now it's like a whole, it starts the, Thanksgiving, <laughs> Thanksgiving night. Um, I tease my youngest daughter that, you know, most people just have a birthday. You know, you celebrate a birthday, you have like a nice meal on the evening of your birthday. But 
Uh, Madeline's birthday has turned into like a week extravaganza. It's more of a joke, but you know, she'll, you know, just kind of think of it like that. But it's good. It's good to celebrate. It's good to feast. There's a time for that. Uh, sometimes we get so serious about our spiritual lives that we we forget that there's there's just times to enjoy life and. Uh, like I said, it, there's a balance to it. Feasting is, a, or celebration is another word we could use, but feasting is, it's a, a response of joy to usually to a particular thing. You know, like Christmas, for example, the birth of Jesus. That's, a, that's something to celebrate. Um, thankful, you know, Thanksgiving, we uh, celebrate each other. We, we thank God for different things. We kind of remember uh, good things. Easter, of course, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate the fact that Christ came into the world and gave his life for us and that he overcame death and sin for us all. I mean, that's something to celebrate. We shouldn't be fasting on Easter day. Right, Easter Day is a day traditionally for feasting and for lots of food, because uh, kind of food and feasting go with joy, go with celebration. I mean, kids know this, right? I mean, kids celebrate birthdays. This is a celebration of the day that I was born, and they invite their friends, and they have their favorite foods, and they eat way too much cake and sugar, and they run around like crazy people, and they run, dance, and scream, and shout, and it is just a time of joy, but it's a response to the fact that they've been born, and other people, of course, come alongside. Parents are excited that their kids were brought into this world. Um... So yeah, feasting is this response to something good. And uh, we see this in the Bible. All over the Bible, there are feasts. There were times of celebration where even part of their calendar, where the people of God were to come together and celebrate and to remember certain things. Jesus knew how to celebrate. Right, even you know John the Baptist. I mean, I think there was he was did exactly what he was supposed to do, but he kind of came fasting. Right, he came with great self denial, uh, eating locusts and wild honey and dressing in kind of plain clothing and being out in the desert and fasting a lot. And John's disciples fasted. Then Jesus came along, and some people were really kind of confused by this because John did so much fasting, Jesus came and he was eating and drinking and celebrating. And they even asked him, why don't you fast? Why, aren't, why don't your disciples fast um, the way John's disciples fasted? And Jesus said, well, in so many words, because I'm here, it's a time to celebrate. And when I ascend back to the Father, that will be the time for the disciples to fast. So feasting, I believe, is really important. Um, the Bible says very clear that says that God has given us all things to richly enjoy, like food and drink and 
uh, just the world that we live in, music, art, all the good things of life. I mean, these are things that God has given to us to enjoy. We're meant to enjoy life. God, just like any father, uh, loves when we enjoy things. I mean, how many parents, when your kid, you get a new toy for your kid or something, or uh, I love that scene in, uh, what's the name of the movie? Where the Wild Things Are? I think it's a children's book, right? And there's this scene where the mom is just, it always just comes back to me. The mom is just watching her boy. I think it's toward the end of the movie. I can't remember what he's eating. I think it might be a piece of cake. But she just has this like pleasure. She's not even eating, but she just has this pure pleasure watching her boy eat this, I think it was a piece of cake. I can't remember. I haven't seen that movie in a while. But God takes pleasure when we enjoy his creation, when we enjoy each other, when we're enjoying food, and there's a time for that. Now, overindulgence isn't good. Uh, Many little kids at their birthday parties end up in bed that night with a big stomach ache because they ate way too much uh, food, Um, So, you know, overindulgence and gluttony is never a good thing, but there is a time to feast. It kind of balances the sorrows of life. Uh, Life is full of sorrow and tragedy and difficulty and affliction, and there's a lot on this planet to lament about. And that's what we kind of get into with fasting. But we, we can't be all about lamenting 365 days a year or else I think we'll just lose it. You know, we would just fall into depression if all we did was read the bad news every day and meditate deeply on it. If we just, you know, spent all of our energy focused on the worst things on the planet, uh, that's not healthy for us. Now we have the other side isn't good either that we avoid thinking about anything bad. There is a time to lament and there is a time to feast and to celebrate. Kind of side note too, we have a lot of holidays in America, right? That are just kind of woven into the culture. And I know that on one hand there are aspects of the way our culture celebrates that can be upsetting, right? Can make us a little sick. You know, the, the way that Christmas is done sometimes with the just commercialism and the excess and the, how Jesus is left out. And it, 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 it is upsetting. It grieves us in a way. But I think with all the holidays in our culture, Our job is to redeem them. You know, I don't think, I mean, there might be a place for us to, you know, especially as preachers or prophets or whatever, um, to speak against some of the excesses or the way holidays are done. Sure, there's a time for that. You might write something, a blog or whatever, and there's a time maybe to speak out at that. But let's make sure that we're redeeming Christmas, Advent, Lent, uh, Easter, even I don't know, St. Patrick's Day, you know, I think can be redeemed. You know, it becomes a a drunken fest for many people, but maybe we could redeem it by taking a good look at uh, the 
the person of St. Patrick and talking about his life. Um, there are a lot of, even Valentine's Day, right? I mean, probably we could complain that uh, the movies and the things that people watch at that time are just filled with sexual content that is uh, grievous. And yeah, sure, that happens. All these Valentine's Day movies, and some of them are fine, but some of them are just, you know, that's not what it's about. But could we redeem it? If anybody should be about love, it should be the church, right? You know, couldn't we redeem Valentine's Day as a day to celebrate romantic love? If you're in a romantic relationship or your parents have been together for 50, 60 years or whatever, or you're married or um, even the love between uh, a father and his daughters. You know, I always kind of included, of course, my wife is number one, but you know, my two daughters, we, I would include very much in Valentine's Day celebrations and kind of spoil them and bless them and lavish them and um, just let them know how much I, I love them. We can redeem holidays. Uh, so I think with our lamenting, we're a very melancholy church. We, I think we do lament pretty well, uh, but we could probably use some help with the, the joy part of it and the celebration part of it. Um, if you know me, it's probably my fault. Most things at the church are my fault. Um, but yeah, if you knew my personality, I'm not necessarily a, a big celebrator. I'm not, I'm, I'm like the worst like party planner. I was just like, you know, I usually big parties and stuff, I, I, I'm just glad to just get through them. Okay. And I just, you know, I love to be alone. I love to, uh, it comes natural for me to be sorrowful. And, you know, they call that the melancholy temperament. I can't change that. You know, it is what it is. But I have to work harder. I don't have to work hard to lament or to feel sorrowful about things or to meditate deeply on the woes of the planet. But for me, I have to be intentional. I have to work hard at really being joyful and in celebrating things. So wherever, maybe it comes natural to you and that's awesome. But I think for a lot of us, we have to kind of work at it and almost free ourselves to really enjoy things in life. All right, well, that's all I'm talking about, feasting, all right? Because like I said, I think we're, we're pretty good at it. So yeah, remember to feast and celebrate. Let's talk about fasting a little bit. Now, when we talk about fasting, sometimes it is a broad thing and you hear people talking about fasting from television or social media for a month or fasting from music or sports radio or video games or makeup. <laughs> for people talk about that. Or even things like I'm fasting from candy for a month. Okay, you know, that's fine. Fasting from beer. You know, these, these are, I don't know if it's, we should really call it fasting. They're issues of really self-denial. Uh, maybe it would be more accurate to call it abstinences. And they're good things. I think uh, it's good to put off for a couple weeks or a month or a year certain things that we love. Why? Because it 
It's, it practices self-denial. It develops our self-control. It also is a check on idolatry. There are certain things we get very attached to. And we're so quick to, well, there's nothing wrong with, you know, whatever. Whatever the candy, let's say. Well, there's nothing wrong with candy. You know, there's not, you know, but try letting it go. <laughs> if, if you can't let something go because you're so woven into it, so tied to it, like images or television or social media, that's a problem. That's an idol. We don't want to be attached to anything other than, than Jesus. Amen? So I think those are good things to do uh, just to keep our life in good order. I think it's better to call it self-denial. But when we talk about fasting, biblical fasting really is about abstaining from food or drink. That, that's really what Bible fasting is defined as. Now, there's a lot of different ways to do this. I won't go into all of them. I'll just kind of give you the, the classic ways that the Bible lays out. One is the Daniel fast. Daniel uh, fasted for three weeks, and he, I think he ate, he ate like vegetables and, and just drank water. Very simple fast. And there's a lot of different variations of the Daniel fast that maybe include fruit and vegetables or maybe some grains, you know, kind of keeping it really simple. Uh, no meats, no sweets would be the most generous form of Daniel fasting, which some people do anyways as a lifestyle. So yeah, Daniel fast can be done kind of for a longer period of time. You still have energy. There's the, the water-only fast. Uh, this is very difficult, very difficult to work for. Um, you know, if you're doing this for a few days, uh, you, you get very weak. So you really have to be careful with the water fast. It's better to do when you have a day off and you can be at home and you can, if you need to rest a little bit in the middle of the day, you can do that. Um, juice only fast. A lot of people prefer this, especially if they, they work because it gives them just enough energy, you know, with the juice to kind of, to kind of keep them going, keep them from that uh, fatigue that can really hit with a water-only fast. There's the absolute fast, which is no food and no water. And we really can't go without water for more than three days. I wouldn't recommend going without water even for, you know, more than one day is probably uh, a good recommendation. But these fasts were done in the Bible where there were no, no food, no drink at all, uh, for a period of days. There was a couple supernatural 40-day no water, no food fasts uh, done by Elijah and by Moses. That was just supernatural. Didn't even make sense. Sustained by God. Nobody should try that. Um, unless God speaks to you, but just don't do it, okay? <laughs> I mean, I'm not arguing. That's another, just it's probably not going to call you to do that, okay? You're not Moses and you're not Elijah. All right. Um, how long should a fast go? Uh, probably the most typical uh, kind of fast would be uh, just fasting for the day 
and then breaking the fast at dinner. That's a great way to start. Uh, it's a sustainable thing. You know, you, you could do that several days a week, actually. Um, you could do that regularly. Another way to fast is to go from dinner, like if you ate dinner tonight at six o'clock, and then don't eat until dinner the next day, dinner to dinner. Um, that's a way to do it. Again, there's so many different ways to do it. Some people fast for three days. Some people fast for seven days or 21 days or 40 days. Uh, my recommendation is start small. You know, don't start. I've never fasted before. I'm going to do a seven-day fast. Like, don't do that. I will say this, though, that a lot of people try fasting and find that it is so incredibly difficult that they just abandon the idea very quickly. Like they fasted for like three hours and they just started to get hungry in the afternoon and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm not, this is, I don't, we don't even need to fast. Like we're free in Jesus, you know? And they just forget about other people. Let other people fast, you know, in the Bible, let them fast. And, but there is something, just push through it. It's actually not, you're not, those aren't starvation pangs. You know, you're, you're, it's just your body does that. And it's kind of cool because when, when you push through that, you do kind of hit a spot when you fast for a little length of time where you don't even think about food at all. It's really an interesting thing. You think, wow, I've been eating for like two days or three days, and I'm not even hungry at all. It's a really strange thing, but it's really cool. Um, so kind of push through, push through. Don't let your, don't let your stomach boss you around. You know, we, we're in charge. You know, let your spirit rule your body. Don't let your body as almost like a whiner and its impulses. And I don't want to do this anymore. I want to eat. I want, you know, we're not, we're not doing this for another hour. You know, the body, it just complains like a little child, right? Well, don't, what do you do with a complaining child? You don't just uh, give them whatever they want, right? You teach them some discipline. So discipline your bodies in that way. Well, how frequent should we fast? Um, some people build it right into their weekly schedule. Some people fast dinner on Fridays. Uh, the early Christians fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays um, every single week. I think those are good things to do, to build it right into your schedule. Uh, there are seasonal fasts. Like last year, we did 100 days of pursuit, uh, some prayer and fasting, first 100 days of the year. A lot of people do like the first 10 days of the year, the first 21 days of the year. I think that's a great tradition that you can have. Some churches have that tradition. We've kind of changed it up and done different things each year. Uh, Lent uh, is about 40 days of fasting. Uh, I think it begins like the second or third day in March this year and goes right up to Easter or the day before Easter, kind of breaking your fast on Easter Sunday. That's a good thing to practice. Advent is another season. So you kind of have seasonal fasts, certain times of the year, especially around Easter or Advent that work really well or the beginning of the year. These are great times to incorporate fasting. What's your plan for fasting? You know, we should, we should kind of think about that. It's the beginning of the year. It's a good time to think about it. Lent is coming up, like I said. I, I think that's a great time to fast and to focus on lament and searching your heart and mourning over sin 
as you lead up to the resurrection of Jesus and that great celebration. Another opportunity or time that we would fast would be when we're troubled, when there's something that grieves us. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be something that's overwhelming. It could be uh, a besetting sin. It could be a child that has fallen away from Jesus. It could be just a friend that is really sick and dying. It could be, all of these things are occasions that move us to fast, that almost feel strange, right, if we were to feast. It just feels like we need to go without food because this thing is too important, it's too serious, it's too sacred, and our heart is, is troubled. I mean, you kind of hear about, like, I think people do it naturally, don't they? Right? When, when somebody is incredibly distraught over something, what happens? They don't eat. Right? It just feels like they can't eat. They don't want to eat. It's just they're too troubled, too sick in their, in their heart to eat. Um, it's, it's kind of like the body and the spirit align. Like, it's very similar to other physical expressions, right? I mean, even how I'm, I'm doing this right now, I'm like trying to make a point, and I'm, 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 I'm going like this, right? Why do I do that? Do I need to do that? Why do I, I don't have to do that. Like, why do I have to talk with my hands so much? It's not necessary, right? But I just feel like there's, like my spirit and my body, they're not separate, they're connected, right? So the body just naturally wants to express what's in the spirit. Does that make sense? So there are things like raising your hand. Some of you, I'm sure, did that this morning in worship. And what, do you need to do that? Is it that well, we're just doing that to be obedient because the Bible tells us lift up your hands and praise the Lord? No, it's like we just, just need to do it sometimes. It's just, oh, we just want to just express. We want to offer loud cries and petitions to Jesus. It's not because he... Uh, is deaf, right? God can hear us when we whisper, when we pray in our minds. But there's something, Jesus did that. Why did Jesus offer up loud cries and petitions? Because his spirit and his body were in alignment. And it's the same with maybe clapping or dancing or hopping, like Mike did this morning in the front row. Why does Mike do that? Nobody knows. No. I'm just kidding. He's just happy. You know, you get, Mike is happy. He's just worshiping. He's just like wants to, he's trying to get closer to God, jump up, you know, and, and touch him. But it's, it's a beautiful thing. But his spirit and his body are aligning. I mean, it's the same thing where, have you ever been in prayer and you've been so overwhelmed, maybe overcome with weeping? And what do you do? You don't, we, like when I've had my times of weeping, I don't weep in this position. Yes, Father, I'm weeping for you. Like you just crumble. Like your body is inclined to do what your spirit is 
feeling, right? So what, you just kind of crumple on the floor. You, you get prostrate. You lay down. You, you get low. You kneel. There's something about the body and the spirit aligning, and that's really what fasting is. When your spirit is troubled, your body doesn't want to eat. Now, why is fasting neglected? I'll just touch on a few of these. Like I said before, it, it can be hard. It feels hard. We love food. I love food, I'll admit it. Um, and it just, it's just difficult to do. It doesn't seem worth it. Like, there's not immediate benefits to fasting, right? It's not like, oh, I fasted, and the next day the power of God came on me and God answered all my prayers. It doesn't work like that. We're also, I think, sometimes ignorant of the biblical examples. So many people in the Bible fasted. I won't list them all, but I mean, from Esther to King David fasted on a regular basis. Paul said he fasted often. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Moses, 40 days on the mount. I mean, there's just so many examples. The early church uh, fasted and prayed. Jesus said, when you fast, you know that phrase? Uh, Don't be like the hypocrites. But there was sort of an expectation that, that we would fast, that we would give, that we would pray. He didn't say, if you fast, I know not everybody's going to fast, but it was kind of like if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're going you're gonna to fast. You're just going to do that. Um, I think there is sometimes is an ignorance of how even God built fasting into the church cal- or the Old Testament Jewish calendar, like the Day of Atonement, for example, how the people would mourn and fast over their sin. Uh, one day a year. There's also this false notion that it's unhealthy. That, you know, unless we have three meals a day, I mean, we're just going to fall apart. I mean, we're just going to faint, probably. It's not healthy to go without food. You know, we're taught. Some well-meaning people will say things like that, which actually, you could argue that There are some actual health benefits of certain kinds of fasting that rid your body of toxins and and all that. But it's just kind of that false notion that I'm going to fall apart if I don't eat three meals a day. Another thing is that we view the body as unimportant. It just seems like the spirit and the mind, that's what the heart, that's what matters most. It just kind of matters what, what's going on in the deep inner chambers of my spiritual man deep down. But what I do with my body, eh, you know, the body, if I fast, go without food, eat food, doesn't it? It seems like it's a, a separate thing. It's a disconnected thing. And that's a very Western way of thinking, that we kind of disconnect the body uh, from the spirit, but they're, they're connected. They're deeply woven together. What we do with our bodies matters on so many levels. And fasting from food is one of those things. Another uh, reason that fasting is neglected is because throughout church history, it has been abused in some really crazy ways. People have died uh, because of fasting, just extreme forms of 
asceticism and just denial of the body in just unhealthy ways. And of course, you know, as Americans, we just lift those things up as examples and see, we shouldn't do that. You know, but we forget that there are a lot more really good examples of fasting throughout church history. And so if, we're, if we view Christians over the last 2,000 years as, you know, oh, I don't know what they were all thinking. We're enlightened now. We realize that, you know, we're free and we don't need to do that. And we view these Christians as silly. I mean, the early Christians, the early church, the first century Christians fasted on a regular basis. I mean, if we just view that as unhealthy or as some extreme form of asceticism or legalism or they just didn't understand that they didn't need to do that to get approval from God, we're, we're really missing something important. Uh, but I think that, that hinders us from, from fasting. Sometimes it's just not taught. It's not encouraged. You don't really hear sermons about it too often. Uh, I probably haven't spoken on it enough through the years. And I think, and this is probably the mother of all reasons why we don't fast in our day, is de, we're desensitized to things. We're not troubled enough to fast. We're not grieved enough to fast. Whether it's, I don't know, our own parent who is extremely ill and dying, or it's a child who's fallen away from Christ, or a close friend who used to be near to Jesus and now they're not. These things should trouble us, but it's, it's, a, it's a huge problem in our day, in America, in the church, that we have this desensitized thing, this apathy, this indifference, like nothing moves us. Um, that's, that's a scary place to be. And it could be, too, that maybe we're conditioned to avoid pain. And so whenever we're about to feel something, what do we do? Go on the phone. Go on the phone and just look at happy images. Look at happy things. Look at shallow things. Let's watch a TV show. Let's get enveloped in a movie. Let's have entertainment. Let's eat a lot of food. Let's, and so we tend to avoid feeling things deeply. We don't like to let ourselves feel grieved about things. Um, I feel like that's kind of an American thing. Um, and it's sad. I mean, even sometimes, um, you know, the, okay, how about all the people in nursing homes? Man, we just like put them away and we don't want to think about them and we hide them away. Man, that's, it's kind of a strange thing that, that we do here. Or when people are sick, they just, you know, they're hidden away somewhere and we don't feel it. It's good to feel things. When we let our heart feel things, it moves us to fast. It moves us to prayer. It moves us to action. Um, so I think that's I think one of the great reasons why we neglect fasting. We're just not moved enough. So each of us has to kind of work through those things. Well, let me give you a, some wrong reasons to fast, all right? Number one wrong reason to fast is to 
manipulate the Almighty. Uh, little encouragement, little advice. He can't be manipulated. He's God. We shouldn't fast as some sort of bargaining chip. You know, I'm going to do four days without food so that God will do such and such a thing that I want him to do. It doesn't work like that. That is not why we fast. Fasting is a response to something that grieves us. Even regular, what we would call stationary fasting, like maybe Monday or, or Wednesday and Friday, each day, each week, or every Friday, whatever you do, um, that kind of fasting is still a response. It shouldn't be a duty. It's still a response for maybe you're fasting out of a sense of mourning over your distance, your love sickness for God. Now, maybe you do have a close relationship with God, but you're still not with him, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're not present with the Lord the way we long to be. Or we're just lamenting, fasting weekly over this broken world that we live in. Over the fact that so many people around us in society are disinterested, it seems, in Christ. How can that not move us? How can that not trouble us weekly, daily? But again, wrong reason to fast, to manipulate God. Or to obtain the approval of God. Or the favor of God. We don't fast to get God's favor. You don't have to fast, that's the good news, to get God's favor. If you're a child of God, if you're a son, a daughter of the Lord, uh, he loves you. He has already accepted you. He already approves you. He approves you on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of your excellent devotion in the last week or because you fasted for three days or seven days and finally on that seventh day pushed it just to enough where you finally got the nod of approval from the Father. No, that's pathetic. You are already accepted on the basis of the blood of Christ. You're already beloved of God. That's not why we fast. We don't fast to compensate for sin in our lives. And you think, well, who would do that? It happens. All kinds of sacrifices and the giving of money and, and the, the, the fasting from food that some Christians will do is all done to compensate for some secret sin that they don't want to let go. And, and somehow in their mind, it just feels like, all right, you know, I shouldn't be doing this, but <laughs> come on, I'm doing this big sacrifice over here. It's got to balance out in some way, right? No. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. And it would be better to do no fasting at all, but to have simple obedience in every aspect of your life. We certainly shouldn't fast. Another wrong reason would be to impress people. And this can definitely, the human heart is so capable of this, right? Jesus really dealt with this, with the religious people of his day. 
you know, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. And, you know, they, I mean, this is a paraphrase, but they, they were acting like, you know, they would come in and, oh, man, they just couldn't even look up. They were walking slowly and people would be like, Joe, what's going on? Are you okay? What's, what's happening? Oh, fasting. <laughs> fasting today. And Jesus said, you've received your reward already. If you, now you might tell your spouse that you're fasting. Sometimes we fast as a church or the early church fasted on regular days. It's not that, you know, you can't tell anybody, but just watch your motive. You know, like we, we, we're not fasting to impress other people so that they know how spiritual we are. Um, that spiritual pride, we're all capable of that. So that would be a a wrong reason to fast, to impress people. Obligation would be another wrong reason. We're not doing it just because the Bible tells us to do it. Pastor Scott preached the word, so I guess I got to, I don't know, I got to fast. I don't want to fast, but I'm going to, I guess I got to do it because, you know, Pastor Scott says it's in the Bible, and I think it is in the Bible. Like that, that's not a good reason to fast either. It's not just obligation. Again, it should flow out of a response. It should flow out of a lament, out of a mourning. It should flow out of something that grieves us, if that makes sense. Fasting should never be done as penance, as payment for our sin. This is different than compensating for sin, but let's say you sinned in some grievous way, uh, you know, you, whatever. I don't even want to list it to glorify it, but just some sin... You don't now. You may fast in response to the grief that you feel because of your sin, but you don't fast as payment for your sin. It doesn't work that way. I mean, that's actually really offensive to the gospel, to Christ, to the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins. You're going to fast for three days and think that that's going to somehow pay for the sin that you committed? If, if that's what you really think, you, you have no idea the exceeding sinfulness of sin. It takes a lot more than three days of fasting or 40 days of fasting or a hundred days of fasting. It took God himself to give his life on a tree for our sin. So yeah, that's a wrong reason to fast. Another wrong reason to fast would be to lose weight. Now, it, it, it could be good to lose weight. I, I could use, you know, to lose. Uh, I haven't been fasting much lately. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm still coming out of Thanksgiving and Christmas, turning the corner very slowly into the new year. Um, so yeah, it's good to, you know, keep our bodies in shape and to lose weight and all that. But we should have, you know, and again, it's like kind of a weird thing. It plays games with it because if you go into a fast, you're sort of secretly, you might be a little excited that, yeah, it's, well, it's going to be good because I'm going to lose a little weight too. <laughs> um, you know, that's okay. Just, but make sure to keep the focus on God. God is the focus of your fast. That's the main reason why you're fasting. And again, 
I really want to press, you know, why fast? And this is where we're going to end the message here is really want to press into this idea of why fast? It's a response. Fasting is a response where when you're troubled, when you're broken, when you're overwhelmed, when you're grieved in some way, and all through the Bible, you see this kind of thing. Uh, Even something that is coming up, a preparation, a thing that you're going to need to face, a new ministry in your life, a new job, a new uh, a change of direction. You're moving from one geographical location to a new location. It's a shift in your life. These are times that are like you're not so much troubled about that as though it's like a negative thing, but you're sort of, you tremble at it. You, whoa, okay, this is this is a new thing. This is a new season. And I want to do this in the right way. So there's that sense of preparation in going into a time of fasting. Why fast? To get clarity from God. Uh, there is something about fasting that helps you to discern the will of God. I don't know exactly how it works, but we are more sensitized when we fast. We can get clarity. We can, we kind of get out of the, you know, when you just use your head, um, you, you list out the pros and you list out the cons when you're trying to make decisions, right? Have you ever driven yourself crazy? Because this, uh, if I go this way, here's the pros, here's the cons. If I go this way, here's the pros, here's the, this seems like they're equal and you, you, you can't get it. You can't, get a clear answer just by thinking it through, though thinking is a good thing to do. But there's something about fasting that brings a sensitivity, brings a a clarity of God's voice. Jesus fasted for 40 days. And the Bible says that and this was kind of before he really, you know, went into the full expression of his ministry, right? But he went into, was led by the Spirit into the desert to fast. And then when he came out, he was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a a sort of preparation for the sacredness of this thing that he was stepping into in launching his ministry. Uh, being troubled over sin, as I've mentioned, is a good reason to fast. Again, you're not paying for your sin. You're not compensating for it. You're not, it's not penance. But if you've sinned in some way, it feels a little weird, right? To like, go eat a big meal. Let's go out to a restaurant, you know, after we sinned. Like, that, it doesn't fit, right? Because your heart is, should be grieving. It should be contrite, crushed over sin. And so fasting and contrition and mourning over your sin, they all kind of go together, right? And Joel says, you know, return to me with weeping and fasting and mourning. You see how those are all kind of interwoven together. Um, Paul did this. Saul was his former name, right? When he was converted and he saw the light on the road to Damascus and he fell off of his horse and was stricken blind for three days. The Bible says that he ate no food and drank no water for three days. Why? 
I mean, it doesn't say that Jesus told him not to eat. I think he was so overwhelmed with grief because he was the biggest blasphemer and persecutor of the church in that day and how wrong he was and how, how much he had sinned and offended Christ up to that point. I think it would have been strange. Well, hallelujah, I'm saved now. Let's go have a hamburger. Like, he just couldn't do it. He was feeling that grief. You know, it's funny, you don't, I don't want to say you don't ever see it, but you, you, you don't see those kinds of conversions as much anymore that are associated with deep grief and contrition over sin. Um, it's kind of a strange thing. Um, I'm not sure, you know, there's a lot I could unpack there, but I think maybe it's the way we think about sin. We just, yeah, this is one of those things. Yeah, you know, Jesus came, I guess, to, uh, you know, cleanse away the sin. It's great. Yeah, I'll take that gift. Cool. And we, it's kind of a, like we don't really understand what's happening when we come to Christ, when we are living in guilt and we are at enmity with God and the wrath of God abides on us, as it says in Ephesians. Literally, the judgment of God is on our life. And when we come, when we turn to the Lord, that burden of guilt is lifted off of us and we are set free and we are made children of God. Like I think sometimes conversions happen and the person who's converted just doesn't really understand the enormity of what happened or even understand, like, I, I wept for years, the first two, three years and beyond that even, but just over my sin of 21 years of sinning against God. Now, it wasn't that I was, I felt like I needed to still repent or that I wasn't sure that I was forgiven. I knew I was forgiven, but there was just a grief over a regret over all the ways I had insulted God in 21 years. I think that's good. That's a good thing. That kind of deep brokenness and contrition should be, I'm still still feel grief here 33 years later after being saved I still feel grieved at times over things I did before I was a Christian so yeah troubled over sin why fast David fasted for when people were sick even his enemies when they were ill how powerful is that that David was fasting for healing for people who hated him and wanted, wanted to kill him. What a powerful testimony. Hannah in the Bible fasted because she was barren and troubled over that and agitated by this Panina woman that she lived with. I mean, she was so grieved, so troubled prayed without, like her lips were moving, but nothing was kind of coming out of her mouth, just yearning, groaning, travailing is probably the best word. Hannah, going without food. Um, 
troubled. Moses fasted over the apostasy of God's people when God's people had, you know, made the golden calf and, you know, forgotten God and worshipped a golden calf. I mean, Moses was distraught over that and went into a time of fasting. Nehemiah, when he heard about the holy city being destroyed and burned down, walls torn down, all of it, what happened? He, he was distraught. He was troubled. He went into a time of fasting. How about when God is hiding? That's a great time to fast. That love sickness for God. Sometimes God hides. He hid from Hezekiah, right? And God hid from him to try him, to test him, to see all that was in his heart. God hid from Job. You know, Job said, I look to the left, I cannot find him. I look to the right, I can't perceive him. Where are you, God? That's what David cried in Psalm 42, right? You know, when shall I appear before God? Why downcast all my soul? Like in so many words, where are you, God? If you're feeling that, where are you? Where's the tangible presence of God? If you have an, just the absence of the presence of God, don't fill that void with food or with just pleasures of life. That calls for a time of, of fasting. I'm troubled. Uh, do you feel troubled when you're distant from God? I don't feel troubled enough, right? Because I've learned to find comfort in a lot of things in this, in this world. So I'm, yeah, yeah, it would be nice to be closer to the Lord, but, but on, in my best moments, I, I'm troubled. Like I just, I, I can't, the nearness of God is my only good. You know, the closeness of God, the presence of God, that's my treasure. Christ is, is, is everything. To be near to him, to hear his voice, to be in communion with him, to be in a place where I can just sit and enjoy fellowship with God, that is my feast. There's nothing greater than that. When I lose that, when I get away from that, when that seems to be slipping away or I can't seem to find that, My heart's troubled. That's a good time to fast. Identification with the suffering of other people is a good time to fast, whether that's poverty or the refugee crisis or a family member who's falling apart in some way. It's kind of a solidarity of sorts, right? It doesn't feel weird to, you know, okay, let's say your uh, close relative Let's say it's an aunt that you're really close with, and this aunt has used to be close to Jesus, and she's fallen away from God, and she's now like, uh, you know, drinking like crazy, and she's become really foul and angry, and you're just like, oh my gosh, what happened? Wouldn't it feel weird to pray for your aunt, um, but then, I don't know, just like eat a giant meal and just it, it, something doesn't fit. Like you want to put your prayers in alignment with, you want to put your body in alignment with your prayers or what your spirit is feeling. Again, not that you should not eat until your aunt comes back to the Lord. You can't do that. But to couple your prayers with fasting is a great opportunity.
Esther fasted when uh, the Jews were in danger. And I think that's a great time to fast. I mean, there's throughout church history times of incredible fasting that the church has engaged in when uh, nations were about to enter war. Uh, Who knows, right, when we hear on the other side and understand, really get the full picture of world history, how the prayers of God's people affected events in world history or held back certain wars from happening. Who knows, you know, what we'll find out. Fasting can be, the more stationary or regular fasting can be a good discipline for the body, and that's okay to fast for that reason. Um, You know, sometimes you might not be troubled or grieved or have some big thing coming up. Uh, I think we're, we're always troubled because we want to get closer to God. We should always be troubled over the lostness of people around us. So there's always reason to be grieved and troubled. But also, I think just to discipline the body is a, is a really good thing. I've noticed when I'm fasting on a regular basis that every other area of my life is much more ordered. And I just feel more in control of my life. Now, I know God is in control and I'm not in control. I get that. That's nothing. But you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like I'm not a slave to my body. I feel like my spirit is in control and my body is being directed by the spirit. And fasting kind of develops that, kind of shapes that. Anna in the Bible um, worshiped the Lord and fasted in the temple uh, day and night. She was a prophetess in the New Testament. And she fasted just out of a longing for God. I think those are the best kinds of fasts. When you just are so hungry for God, you know, again, Psalm 42 comes to mind, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you, God. When will I appear before God? You know, I just, I need you, God. That kind of hunger and thirst for God makes fasting from food, you almost have to fast from food. It, it makes fasting from food easy because your hunger for God is so strong. Well, there's other reasons to fast, like facing an impossible situation. But I think the thing that hopefully came through more than anything in this message is that we don't fast as a bargaining chip to get God to do something. We're not trying to manipulate God now, certainly results happen, right? But the results don't happen. Results happen because we're God's children and we're crying out for things, right? And we're asking for things. We're, God answers our prayers because he loves us and he answers them according to his will. You might fast for something and it might not happen. You need to understand that. Not everything we pray for is God's will. We could pray for somebody who's sick and they could they could die. You know, we could pray for somebody to get this job that they really want, and they didn't get it. We could fast about it. Man, I fasted for three days. I thought this fasting thing worked. No, don't think of it like that. It's not some secret tool that we bring out. You know, when God isn't, doesn't seem to be listening to us, well, we pull out the, you know, the fasting card, you know, we, we, you know the fasting trick. Well, he, he doesn't seem to be listening. I've been talking to him about this for a month, I'm going into a time of fasting. 
That'll get his attention. No, you got his attention the first time you, before you even asked, he knew what you needed. He knew what you were going to ask. That's not how it works. Fasting is a response. It's aligning the body and the spirit. So I hope you will fast. I mean, we could talk for, maybe other messages I've done this, but we could talk for hours about the benefits of fasting or the results that come from fasting. And maybe that would entice you to fast, but I'm really, just feel cautious about doing that. Yes, I mean, in the times that I've fasted, I can't think of a time that I've fasted where I, I wasn't, after I got through it, I wasn't like, man, I am so glad that I did that. And I could list different things that came out of it, like clarity from God or a touch from God's spirit or just a, a fresh filling of the spirit or just the word of God came alive in greater ways or just my prayers were anointed in, in different ways. I felt some of the emotions of God in my time of fast. I could just list all those things. And those are good things, but I just want you to fast. I want you to make sure your fasting is anchored in a response to something. Feeling grief, feeling troubled. I'm telling you, you will have a much easier time fasting if it's flowing out of a grief. If you want to do some fasting, you know what the starting place is to think about what troubles you. What troubles you? What grieves you? What breaks you? What upsets you? What overwhelms you? What bothers you? Maybe it bothers you that children are being trafficked around the world. Maybe it bothers you thinking about refugees having to flee from the comfort of their home and their country and to be on the run and to be in danger and many of them dying. Let's start there. Think on those things. Meditate on those things. Let your heart lament. Move into that lament first. And then you'll find the fasting will, you'll want to fast when you, when you start feeling those emotions. Does that make sense? Am I getting through? Is anybody getting anything? Is anybody going to fast this year? Please raise your hand if you're going to do some fasting. You've lost your reward. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tricked you. I uh, love you guys. Thanks for listening this morning. Um, we're not going to end in, in a song, but uh, I'd, I'd say go fast, but you shouldn't fast on Sundays. Sunday is a back to the beginning part of the message. Go feast. Go enjoy lunch, but think about the kind of fasting you're going to do this year. Make some plans. All right, I love you guys.